كلا إنها كلمة هو قائلها ومن ورائهم برزخ إلى يوم يبعثون إذا نفخ في الصور فلا أنساب بينهم بسم الله الرحمن الرحيم <تصفيق> الحمد لله رب العالمين والصلاة والسلام على سيدنا محمد وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين أما بعد uh, so we're still doing our series of the barzakh and I had mentioned the issue of the ruh and the, some of the details that we know about the ruh and at the very end one brother said to me what is the difference between ruh and nafs and even though this topic is about the barzakh and it's not quite about the ruh, but still we are discussing it, so we might as well go into a little bit of detail about uh, the issue of the ruh and the nafs. Uh, so what is the ruh and what is the nafs? And what is the difference between these two? I will go over a lot of discussion, but I will tell you the conclusion, and that is, Allahu A'lam. There are many theories, there are many interpretations about the relationship between the ruh and the nafs. And this discussion of the soul and the being, the soul and the nafs, it actually goes back to pre-Islam. It goes back to the philosophers. It goes back to many different you know, strands of Islam. And in fact, many interpretations exist amongst the Ahl al-Tasawwuf. They have their interpretations. Amongst the philosophers, they have their interpretations. Amongst the people of Kalam, they have their interpretations. And in reality, they all, these are all from issues of the unseen. So what we can do, is to look at the ruh and the nafs in the Qur'an. And many academics have done this. How is the ruh used in the Qur'an, the word ruh? So we see, for example, that of the terms that Allah uses the ruh for is the angel Jibreel, right? قُلْ نَزَلَهُ رُوحُ الْقُدُسِ And generally, when angel Jibreel is mentioned, ruh al-Qudus, the holy ruh. So Allah calls Jibreel ruh. And another Indication or another term that Allah uses the ruh for is the revelation and the Quran. So, in some verses, Allah calls the Quran ruh, and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, min This is how we have revealed the ruh to you. What is the ruh? What did Allah reveal? The Quran. So Allah calls the Quran ruh. So we have number one, Jibreel is ruh. Number two, the Quran is ruh. Number three. The spirit that Allah blew into Maryam is called the ruh. فَنَفَخْنَا فِيهِ مِنْ رُوحِنَا So Allah is mentioning that the womb of Maryam, what was blown into it? Ruh was blown into it. And either 3a or 4, similar thing, Isa is called, what is the title of Isa? Ruhullah. This is in the Quran that Allah Azza wa Jal calls Isa Ruh. That Allah says in the Quran, إِنَّمَا الْمَسِيحُ عِيسَى بُدُّ مَرْيَمَ رَسُولُ اللَّهِ وَكَلِمَةُ أَلْقَاهِ لَمَرْيَمَ وَرُوحٌ مِّنْهُ Isa is the Messiah and the Kalimatullah and the Ruh coming from Allah. This is in the Quran. So Isa is called Ruh from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala as well. And of the things that Allah calls Ruh in the Quran is... His help that comes from the heavens, Allah calls ruh. So Allah says in the Quran, "Ulaika kataba fi imana wa minhu." The Sahaba are those whom Allah has written iman in their hearts. Kataba fi iman. Then Allah says, "Wa minhu," and Allah has helped the Sahaba from a ruh coming from Him. What is the ruh over here? It is the divine aid, the divine help that came in the Battle of Badr. In other battles, Allah calls it the ruh. And of course, 
This is number what now? Four or five, whatever. Number six, we can say the term ruh is also called the soul inside the body. Right? This is the ruh inside the body. Now, in all of these, we notice that the ruh is something that is beyond generally speaking our eyes except for Isa we can feel him and sense him otherwise everything else is beyond our it's in the other world it is something that is an inner power of force that Allah uses to help or that brings life so the Quran is called ruh because the Quran brings life to the soul revelation is called ruh iman is called ruh Allah is saying I'm helping the believers with ruh so all of this is a divine aid that brings life and this is why the Quran is also called Ruh because it is the primary mechanism of making the Ruh alive. Jibreel is called Ruh because Jibreel brings that life down, the spiritual life. Jibreel brought down all of the revelation of Allah. So he is enlightening, he is bringing life to the creation through the revelation of the Torah, the Injil, the Zabur, the Quran. So he is called the Ruh from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So all of these terms are used for Ruh. And the main common theme, that which gives life, that which is energizing, that which gives Allah's help. As for nafs, nafs occurs many, many, many more times in the Quran. I think, don't quote me, but I think at least eight times more than the word ruh. Nafs and anfus occurs much more in the Quran. And if you go over that, you get many, many categories. But Generally speaking, the, the, the term nafs, you can say very rarely, sometimes nafs is used for ruh. And this is an exception, it does occur. So for example, in the famous hadith in Ibn Majah, our Prophet wasallam said, don't you see the one who dies when he is dead, his eyes are looking up? They said, why Ya Rasulullah? He said that when the nafs exits the body, the basar follows it. When the nafs exits the body. He didn't say ruh in this hadith. When the nafs exits the body, the eyes follow it. And that is why anybody who dies in a state of wakefulness, when you die in your sleep, your eyes are closed. Anybody who dies in a state of wakefulness, you always find their eyes are looking up. Why? Our process explained why. That there is that millisecond between life and death where you see your own ruh. And obviously, Whenever we'll see our ruh, we're going to look at it. Everything else goes, is not going to be important, right? Everyone will look at the ruh. The last thing they see, their own ruh is exiting their body and then it's gone. So their eyes are going to be over there. So this, authentic, this is an authentic hadith in which our Prophet ﷺ said that when the nafs exits the body, the basar follows it. So he called the ruh nafs in this hadith. Also in the Quran, Allahu yatawaffal anfusahina mawtiha. Allah takes the anfus, the plural of nafs. Allah takes the nafs at the time of death. So sometimes the word nafs occurs the same as the, as what? Ruh. But this is exceptional. Generally speaking, the word nafs is more than just the ruh in the Quran. And Allah says, that kullu nafsin bima kasabat rahina. Every nafs is 
going to be mortgaged from what its own deeds is, right? Uh, uh, that No nafs will be burdened with more than what it can, uh, what it can uh, bear. Isa uh, says, nafsik. Oh Allah, you know what is in my nafs. I do not know what is in your nafs. So the term nafs is used much more frequently. And generally speaking, what we see is that the term nafs is used when the ruh and the aql and the body are all combined in one. When it is a walking, talking, living entity, then you call it nafs, right? In yourselves, don't you see? Anfus, your own selves. So nafs can be called the self. And the self is composed of body and soul and intellect. These are all coming together. And it does appear that this seems to be the most common usage of the term nafs in the Qur'an. And some have said that there are three types of, of nafs, uh, that uh, a nafs al-mutma'inna, and a nafs al-ammara bisu, and a nafs al-lawama. So a nafs al-mutma'inna is the highest category. It is content in the worship of Allah, and it will be content in the akhirah. And the lowest category, a nafs al-ammara bisu, the nafs that is always commanding with evil. And the middle category, the sinning, Muslim, a nafs al-lawama. He does a good deed, he's happy. He does a bad deed, and he's like, why did I do the bad deed? This is a nafs al-lawama. So lawama means always criticizing itself. So this is one interpretation. Why? Because in the Quran, you have three adjectives in different verses next to nafs, right? Inna nafs al-ammaratun bisu in Surah Yusuf, right? And a nafs al-mutma'inna is mentioned in Juz Amma. And a nafs al-lawama also mentioned in Juz Amma. So they say three different adjectives for three different nafs. But others say, no, this is a mistake. There's only two. And that is a nafs al-mutma'inna and a nafs al-ammara bisu. And as for nafs al-lawama, this is every nafs without exception. Because every nafs reproaches itself without exception. Whether it reproaches for good or bad, but it reproaches. Every nafs says, why did I do this? Why didn't I do that? I should have done this. This is lawama. Lama yalumu to criticize, to reproach. Every nafs is lawama. So other ulama say, oh, this is two souls. Nafs al-mutma'inna and nafs al-ammara bisu. Yet other ulama say, no. All three of these describe what's left. Are you guys paying attention? We said there's three categories. No, then there's two. What would be the other option? There's one. All three adjectives describe all souls simultaneously. Every soul wants to do some evil, but Allah saves some souls. But still the soul is telling. There's some waswas that comes from the soul. But Allah saves some souls, but still the soul is whispering evil. And nafs al-lawama, every nafs is there. And nafs al-mutma'inna, whenever anybody does a good deed, it is nafs al-mutma'inna. So in reality, you have all of these uh, positions. And some ulama have said, nafs and ruh are synonymous. Others have said that the famous principle of Arabic when, they, when it is very commonly used, when the two words occur in the same context, then they have different meanings. When they occur in different contexts, they become synonyms. However, Allah knows best. If you gather all the times the ruh occurs in the Quran and Sunnah, all the times nafs and anfus occurs in the Quran and Sunnah, one does get the impression that ruh 
is used primarily for the spiritual entity inside of our bodies, that which leaves us when we will die. This is the general rule. Ruh is the spiritual entity inside. And without the ruh, the body dies and the body becomes a corpse. So that is the primary usage. And generally, nafs is used. Generally, there are exceptions, even in the Quran and Sunnah. Generally, nafs and anfus is used when the body and the ruh are combined together in a state of alertness, in a state of wakefulness, in a state of contemplation. This is the general rule of the Quran and Sunnah. That nafs or anfus is a broader category because it includes the soul inside the body when the, it is in a wakeful state. This is the general rule and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala knows best. So that answers the question, what is the difference between ruh and nafs? And I said, there is no specific categorical correct answer. We have a, a number of interpretations. Now, uh, the next point I wanted to move on to, and so that will be the rest of today, is one hadith. The rest of today's lecture is just one hadith. And it is the most fundamental hadith when it comes to the soul and the barzakh and the journey of the soul. And this hadith is Ibn Qayyim mentions Aslum min usul al-deen. This one hadith, it is one of the foundations of the religion. And he says in his famous book, Kitab al-Ruh, Ibn Qayyim has an entire volume, a book called Kitab al-Ruh. And this is one of his earliest writings uh, that he composed. And he mentions this hadith that I'm going to mention to you today, inshallah. This hadith is the foundational hadith when it comes to knowledge of the ruh and what happens after death. And other ulama also commented on this hadith and they mentioned this hadith is the most detailed hadith about the journey of the soul. And that is why Al-Qurtubi in his famous book, Al-Tadhkira, and every single author, Ibn al-Jawzi, every author who mentions the journey of death, they always narrate this entire hadith pretty much at the beginning of the book. And so we are also talking about the barzakh. So uh, this hadith needs to be done at the beginning of our series on the barzakh. And it is an authentic hadith that is reported in Bukhari and Muslim and Abu Dawud and many books of hadith. All of the chains go back to one sahabi, Al-Bara ibn Azib, the famous companion, Al-Bara ibn Azib. And uh, Ibn Qayyim mentions that from this hadith we can extract more than 20 theological doctrines that we believe in. What do we believe in? We believe in the ruh, we believe in adab al-qabr, we believe in munkar al-nakir. He extracts all of these different ones. Insha'Allah ta'ala, we will mention them uh, as we go over this hadith. So this hadith uh, is narrated from al-Bara ibn Azib and I will try to mention some Arabic phrases as well so that we are benefiting from the hadith. Al-Bara ibn Azib said that once we attended the janazah of somebody uh, from the Ansar and we followed the grave up until the Qabr and the Qabr had not yet been dug so all of us sat down with the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and somebody began to dig the Qabr now that's going to take a while it's going to take some time so the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam began speaking this hadith is called the Hadith of Bara about the journey of the Ruh this is that famous hadith Hadith of Bara about the Ruh and its context in the graveyard, in Baqi'ah, Jannah al Baqi'ah, we call Baqi'ah al Gharqad, in Baqi'ah, when one of the Sahaba is being buried. So this hadith was narrated in Baqi'ah. And the whole narration is about obviously the context of, the, uh, of, of death. So Al-Bara ibn Azib said, the Prophet looked up to the heavens and then he looked down to the earth. He looked up to the heavens, he looked down to the earth, and then a third time he looked up to the heavens, and then he looked down to the earth. Three times he's looking, quietly looking up, looking down. Then he said, 
اللهم إني أعوذ بك من عذاب القبر Oh Allah, I seek refuge in you from the adab of qabr. By the way, this hadith also shows a very important point, And that is, the Muslim, the da'i, the murabbi, the sheikh, takes advantage of situations and opportunities. Right now they're attending a janazah. Right now they're attending a janazah. What does our Prophet speak about? The death and the importance of knowing death, seeking refuge in adab al-qabr. Right? So there's nothing wrong at all with giving a lecture based on the context of the time. Right now, would it be a good time to talk about the fiqh of nikah? I hope not. Anybody says this. What are you going to teach somebody now? Death. Mawidah. This is common sense. I mean, some of our brothers, they, they read in things to be bid'ah that are not bid'ah. There's nothing wrong. It's a context here. Somebody's passed away. Of course, you're going to speak about death. The hearts are soft. You're thinking about it. Here, the Prophet is taking advantage of this time and he gives something about uh, death. And it, this is in baqir, unplanned. He didn't say, oh, there's a lecture coming, unplanned. Right then and there, the qabr is being dug. And they sat down and they're having a lecture about death and the reality of death. So he sought refuge from adab al-qabr. Then he began the hadith. إِنَّ الرَّجُلَ الْمُسْلِمِ إِذَا كَانَ فِي إِقْبَالٍ مِنَ الْآخِرَةِ وَانْقِطَاعٍ مِنَ الدُّنْيَا When the Muslim is about to enter the next world and leave this dunya, the malakul maut comes and sits at his head. The Malakul Maut comes and sits at his head. The Malakul Maut, is this a noun or an adjective? Scholars differ. If you say it is a noun, this means there's one angel and his name is Malakul Maut. If you say it is an adjective, then there are millions and millions of Malakul Maut and whoever takes your soul at that time, that is your Malakul Maut. So is there one Malakul Maut? Or is there, are there many, many Malakul Mauts? Allah knows best, but it seems as indeed there might be one Malakul Maut who's in charge. There's nobody's denying that. But it does appear that every single soul has a specific Malakul Maut assigned to it. Because Allah says in the Quran, Malakul Maut, يتوفاكم Malakul Maut الذي وكل بكم. Then the Malakul Maut this is in the Quran. That has been assigned to you will take your soul. So Allah is mentioning that Malakul Maut and Malakul Maut is in the Nakir if you know Arabic. Allah is not saying Al Malak or Malakul. No, not Al Malak. Malaku Al Maut. An angel of death. This is how it translates. Not the angel of death. So Allah says in the Quran that. That the angel, meaning an angel, that has been assigned to you, that angel will end up taking your soul. So it does appear that there are many malakul mauts, and maybe there is in fact a special malakul maut for every human being. And that is not something that is strange because the number of angels is beyond our comprehension. No one can count the number of the angels of Allah, the army of Allah, other than Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So when the Muslim is about to leave this world and enter the, uh, the, the next world, the malakul maut comes and sits at his head. So it's at the place of the head. Then the, the angels of the heavens come down as if their faces are suns, bright. And they have with them the shrouds of Jannah 
and the perfumes of Jannah. So, when the person is about to pass away, Allah sends a delegation of angels just for him. Now, even though it is not explicit, our scholars mention that the generality of the texts of the Quran and Sunnah would indicate that this delegation varies from person to person. The one who is muttaqi is not like the one who is on the borderline and just about a good Muslim. Huh? The one who prays tahajjud and was abid and zahid is not like the one who barely just prayed the five salawat and just, just about made it. And just like all deeds, everyone has a daraja from where they go, so too is the delegation at the time of death. And therefore, the one who is righteous will get a more noble delegation and a more higher ranking delegation and larger delegation. And the one who was middle will get the middle. And the one who was at the very, very end but still on the righteous side because this hadith applies to, the first part applies to the righteous. The second part applies to the next side. So then he will get a lower delegation. So angels will come. And they will have with them the shrouds of Jannah and the perfumes of Jannah. And they will sit as far as the eye can see. Now this would apply to the elite category. That they get the best delegation. And generally when the hadith mention these types of things, they mention the highest because that's the prize. That's what you want. You want to have that level that as far as the eye can see. Can you imagine you are in a crowd... You are the center of attention and you are surrounded by millions because as far as the eye can see, that's like, imagine, you know, like as far as the eye can see is literally, we're talking about hundreds of thousands and all of them, they are bringing peace and comfort with their presence. Their faces are shining bright. You can smell the fragrances of Jannah. You can see all of them. They have the kafan for Jannah. What do you think the impact will be when you see this? What do you think the impact will be? And that's the whole point. We want to get to that level. And so they will come down and they will sit as far as the eye can see. Then the angel of death will say, Oh pure and peaceful soul, now is the time to exit. The angel of death has that power that Allah has given him that he can take the soul. And even though he can take it in any manner, he is taking it in such a gentle manner. He is inviting the soul. Come, come out now. Now come, you beautiful soul, you pure soul. Come out and I welcome you to Allah's maghfirah and Allah's pleasure. So this shows us that at the very, very last millisecond between life and death, the person, even though the monitor is saying his heart is alive, even though he's surrounded by his family, he enters a different realm. Now, from our paradigm, that might be a millisecond. We don't know. From our world, if we look at the watch, it might be something that we cannot even count. But from the perspective of the person about to die, now things go into a different time zone. Because the one who is about to pass away, time and space are different, right? The barzakh is different. They have a different sense of time and space, as we said last time, and everybody understands this. So that person 
while they're still alive, they're seeing all of these angels. They aren't dead yet. They see the angel of death. They can still see the angel of death and they're still alive in this dunya. And the angel of death is saying, come, pure soul, come, beautiful soul, come out and meet Allah's maghfirah, meet Allah's pleasure. So the Prophet wasallam said, فَتَخْرُجُ تَسِيلُ كَمَا تَسِيلُ الْقَطْرَةُ مِنَ السَّقَى So his soul will exit and just go out. Tasilu, sala yasilu means to flow. This is the, you, you say that, that the, the river that also has sailan. It's just flowing. The same word is used. So the Prophet ﷺ said, his soul will flow out like water flows out from a jug. If you pour water out, the smoothness. And by the way, the metaphor is also comfort. Because when you see water, all human beings, it's a sign of peace, a sign of calmness. And the metaphor that our Prophet gave is a metaphor of calmness. His soul will exit the body like water when it is poured from a jug. So that beautiful, just symmetric coming out, this is how the soul will exit and it will then reach the uh, angel of death and the angels around it. And the Prophet ﷺ said, they will not allow the soul even one second to be unattended. They will take it up to the heavens immediately. In other words, the soul will not be left alone. The soul will not feel empty or naked, naked or anything. No, the angels will come and they will shroud the soul. They will put perfume on the soul. So interesting, by the way, the body, we shroud it. But the soul, the angels shroud it. The body, we take care of it. That's our job. That's fard kifaya on us. If the family is there, they do it. If not, then the community will do it. We have to take care of the body that's left behind. But the soul that's going forward, that is the responsibility of the angels. And the angels will wrap it in the delicate cloths of Jannah. And they will put the perfumes of Jannah on it. And every time they were going up to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they will pass by other angels. And the angels will say, Who is this beautiful soul? And the angels will respond, this person is Fulan ibn Fulan. And they'll mention him by the best names that the people of earth remembered him by. Anybody who said, oh, you're an honest person, the angels will say, this is Fulan ibn Fulan, the honest person. Somebody would have said, you're so generous to us. So then uh, the angels will say, so-and-so, the son of so-and-so, the generous one. So all of the adjectives that were used on earth in a positive manner, which means what must we do in this dunya, brothers and sisters? Do khair, do good. We want the angels to use those adjectives, right? So the Prophet said, the ahsanil asma, the best descriptions that the people gave of him, the angels will give as they're going upwards. And this also shows us another fact that we all know, and that is that the heavens are chock full or jam packed of angels. This is something we know that everywhere there are angels. So when the angel is taking that one soul, they'll pass by other souls, sorry, other angels, and those angels don't know who this soul is, so they'll say, who is this? And they will recognize this soul to be a beautiful soul. How so? Because of the angels of mercy, and the angels that have the, the perfume of Jannah, and the kafan of Jannah. So the other angels will recognize, oh, this is a good person. So they'll say, who is this good person? Nafsu tayyibah. Who is this pure person? And so the 
entourage will say, this is so-and-so, the son of so-and-so. And then they will mention him with all of the beautiful names that he was mentioned with in this world. Now once again, remember, all of us will go through that. We will all be terrified at that stage. I mean, this is human nature. If you do anything that is new, you will be terrified. How about if you're exiting this world? We will be terrified. What is all happening now? Calmness. Calm. You are being comforted that not only the angels that have taken you, but every angel you go by, every group that you go by, they're smiling, they're radiant, they're encouraging you. And this is the reward of the righteous life lived in this dunya. The one who lived righteously, now they begin to taste the fruits of that righteousness. So they are going up. And still, I mean, obviously, there's still a matter of, of panic and whatnot. They're going up and up and up. And every time they go, the angels comfort the soul and mention him with good, with good uh, names. And then they reach the highest heavens. And then the Prophet sallallahu said, when they get to the highest heavens, فُتِّحَتْ لَهُ أَبْوَابُ السَّمَاءِ the, the doors of the heavens are opened up for him. And so again, imagine the VVIP status. He is the entourage. He is the person wherever he goes, the doors open up. He's being ushered in with the entourage. How do you think this person is going to feel now? More and more, the calmness is uh, setting in. And they go higher and higher until they say that they get to the highest heavens, the seventh heaven. So throughout all of these seven heavens. Now, what are the seven heavens? That's a whole different topic. If you listen to my Sira lectures, when I talked, spoke about the Isra and Mi'raj, go back to the YouTube videos, the first or the second lecture of Isra and Mi'raj, I went over 30, 40 minutes about the cosmology of the Qur'an. Okay, there's a whole different lecture here. We cannot do it right now. What are the seven heavens? What are the seven samawat? What are they? That's a whole different topic. I have done it and you'll find it on YouTube. Right now we go, now the Prophet is saying, they go through every heaven and throughout all of these heavens, the angels are going to be comforting until finally they reach the seven heavens. Then it will be said, It will be said. Who will say this? In other reports, Allah will say. So Allah will say, write his name in the register of Illiyin. And Illiyin is the name of a register for the righteous people. It is mentioned in the Quran. And it means the highest register from Ulu, from the high. Illiyin, it is the high leg legis the le uh, um, registration. That is where the highest book is written for the righteous people. So Allah Azza wa Jal will announce and everyone will hear, write the name of my servant in Illiyin. And then Allah will say, Return my servant to this world because I created them from it and I shall return them to it and then I shall bring them back from it one other time. And so his ruh will be returned to his jasad. Now, pause here. What does this show? This whole journey was the ruh only. The ruh is going up. And the ruh is now getting the first taste of the akhirah. And it is going up to the first decree. Our Prophet Sallallahu said, I quoted the hadith in the last class and we'll quote it again and again. Al-Qabru awwalu manazilin min manazil al-akhirah. 
The qabr is the first station out of the many stations of the akhirah. So this is the first station. And we get the mini hisab before the big hisab. The mini hisabs will begin right from death. From the angel of death, we know which way we're heading. From the angel of death, from the entourage, from what happens, all of it, we will start knowing where we're heading from that point in time. And so Allah will say, return his soul back to this earth. This shows us that the common myth that other religions have, that the soul is in heaven, this is not correct. The souls are not in heaven. Allahumma accept, we will come to the one exception is the shuhada. We'll talk about them in another in a later lecture, but that's the one exception. Their souls are up there. But the rest of mankind, their souls come back down to this earth. And then their souls reunite with their bodies. Now, obviously, the reuniting with the body, it is not the reuniting of this world, nor is it the reuniting of the akhirah. It is a completely different reuniting which we do not know and we don't have any details of and we will not even understand. Even if words existed, we wouldn't understand it. It's beyond our ilm, complete ilm al-ghayb. But the soul is where the body is located. Now, if there is no body, Allah knows where the soul goes, but it will still be somewhere. Even if there is no body, the, soul, the body must have decomposed somewhere. Right? I mean, you have to, something happens, whether a drowning or a burning or something happens, and the remnants of the body are going to be somewhere. So, in all likelihood, the soul will be in that location in the Alimul Barzakh, not necessarily in our dunya, because again, in that, uh, realistically, then every spot on this earth is going to have a soul in it. By the time since we have come here, there must have been millions of people living everywhere. You understand, you will be walking over everything. This is in a different three dimension, not our three dimensions, in a different dimension, not in our three dimensions. But the soul goes back, and Allah says in this hadith Qudsi, this, this phrase is hadith Qudsi, return his soul to his body. So it will then go back to this body. Then two angels will come. So, going up, coming back down. Then, two angels will come and they will ask him the questions. This is Munkar and Nakir. The names do not occur in this hadith, but in other hadith they occur. And they ask him, Marrabbuk. He says, Allah. They say, Madinuk. He says, Islam. They say, who was this man that was sent amongst you? And when they say this man, then the person will automatically understand the Prophet ﷺ. He will say, Rasulullah. He is the messenger of Allah And when he says this, so they will say to him, how do you know all of these answers? وَمَا He will say, قَرَأْتُ كِتَابَ اللَّهِ فَآمَنْتُ بِهِ وَصَدَّقْتُ I read the book of Allah, I believed in it, and I affirmed it to be true. Then a voice will call from the heavens, Ansaddaq, he has spoken the truth. فَأَفْرِشُوهُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَأَلْبِسُوهُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ وَأَرَوْهُ مَنْزِلَهُ مِنَ الْجَنَّةِ So once again, Allah will decree. This is a second decree after the first decree. That write his name in Illiyin. Now he will come back down, passes Munkar and Nakir, passes all of the questions. And by the way, as our scholars mention, as our scholars mention, the passing of Munkar and Nakir is not intellectual knowledge. It is the knowledge of the qalb. It is the knowledge you lived. It is the knowledge of your life. 
It's not the knowledge of the intellect because even a kafir at that stage will know my God is Allah, my religion should have been Islam. No, you cannot cheat on this exam. This is not an exam where you can be fed the answers, which is why unfortunately some Muslims are falling into strange practices. They stand outside the grave and they wait, they time themselves. Three minutes, they say, Ha, ah, the angel's coming. Respond, your Lord is Allah. They wait another three minutes. They say, Ha, ah, okay, the angel's coming. Respond. SubhanAllah, firstly, I mean, again, where does one begin? This is, I don't like being harsh, but wallahi, this is, this is backwardness. This is not from Islam. We do not stand at the, at the, outside the qabr and then spood fiend the answers. Wallahi, if you did this in this world, you would get expelled. Your son would get expelled from the examination hall. You think that that exam is going to pass it? I mean, seriously, you know, like it doesn't work that way. This is not from Islam. This is mythology that has nothing to do with our religion. I don't like being harsh, but sometimes there, there are red lines. This is one of those red lines. Don't make our religion look foolish where you stand outside, you think you're spoon feeding, you know, the, the answers to somebody in the grave. SubhanAllah, no, you can do nothing at this stage. That's his actions and what he has done and his or her lifestyle. So then the statement will come. Allah will say, he has spoken the truth. So give him the clothes of Jannah and give him the couches of Jannah and show him his place in Jannah. So at this stage, there's no food, there's no drink because it is barzakh. But there is comfort of the barzakh. What is the comfort of the barzakh? The ambience. So in the barzakh, nobody eats and drinks. There's nothing there to eat and drink. You cannot eat and drink. It's a barzakh stage. That will happen in Jannah or A'udhu Billah, A'udhu Billah in Jahannam. And that happened in this dunya. As for the barzakh, it's just the ambience of the soul. That's all there is. That is the na'im or the adab. What is the surroundings of the soul. So in this hadith we learn, give him the cushions of Jannah. Okay, the cushion. Okay, that's the soul is there. And give him the libas of Jannah. Okay, you put something on the soul. And show him his house in Jannah. So the person will have his grave made vast. His grave is as, 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 as large as he can see. Muddal basal means as far as the eye can see. And a portal will open up. And that portal will be facing his house in Jannah. And he will see his house in Jannah. And he will smell the fragrance of Jannah. And he will hear the sounds of Jannah. And so he will say, O oh Allah, hasten judgment day. Make it quick so that I can enter this house so that I can enter this house so this is the case of the one who passes the test and as he's waiting there a very handsome entity comes that is bright that is wearing good garments that has good clothes and that entity will say I've come to give you glad tidings rejoice and be happy for this is the day you were promised the man will say and who are you? For by Allah, you are nothing but good. Your presence is good. Your face is good. You are bringing good news. And so he will say, I am your good deeds coming back to you. So your good deeds will take on a form that will bring you happiness, will give companionship to you in the grave. 
You will feel an actual entity that's calming you down, making you happy. So your good deeds will become an actual comfort for you in the qabr. And that person will then uh, continue to make dua to Allah. And then the Prophet wasallam said, this is what Allah says in the Quran. So this is the tafsir of the Prophet to the Quran. That's the highest level of tafsir. When the Prophet says something, that is a different category of tafsir. That is a tafsir with the sunnah, which is an infallible divine category. And that takes the highest category of tafsir. So the Prophet said, read if you want. Then he quoted the famous verse, يُثَبِّتُ اللَّهُ الَّذِينَ آمَنُوا بِالْقَوْلِ الثَّابِتِ فِي الْحَيَاةِ الدُّنْيَا وَفِي الْآخِرَةِ Allah, thabbata means to make firm. Allah, comforts and makes firm yuthabbit thabbata allah gives thabat to the people who believe with what bilqawli thabit with the firm statement in this world and in the next world what is alqawli thabit our scholars said alqawli thabit is in this world you say la ilaha illallah at the time of death may allah make our last kalima to be la ilaha illallah at the time of death and in the next world when Munkar and Nakir come, you answer these questions. Who gives you the confidence to answer when you've just been returned to the Qabr? Who gives you that confidence? Allah gives you that confidence. Allah gives you that confidence. Very quickly, we'll finish up inshallah because I know I don't want to go too late. The second half of the hadith is the exact opposite of the first half. So it goes over every single phrase, but obviously with the exact opposite adjectives than the first half. And... The Prophet ﷺ said, as for the kafir or the fajr, the opposite, when he is about to leave this world and enter the next world, the malakul maut comes and he is surrounded by angels of a gloomy disposition, of a scary disposition, and they surround him as far as the eye can see. Once again, we say, the worse the person, the more frightening the delegation. Again, there's nothing explicit, but it is the common sense that you derive from the Quran. So the general text of the Quran and sunnah that people have different levels so the death of Fir'aun is not going to be like the death of an average person who rejected Islam there's definitely going to be differences between that so the person who's at the bottom scale as far as the eye can see there will be deadly angels angels that terrify angels whose presence will if you weren't dead, you would die. Look at them, that type of thing and as far as the eye can see and the malakul maut will say you filthy soul. So the angel will give an adjective that's not a positive adjective. You dirty, you are not a pure soul. Not a mutma'inna, not a tayyiba, khabitha. You, you are filth, you are not pure. Or khabith soul, get out of your body and meet Allah's ghadab and meet Allah's anger. And the Prophet ﷺ said, and listen to this, wallahi, this is frightening, may Allah protect us. It's something... Very, we need to know the story because brothers and sisters, every one of us, this is our journey, either A or B. May Allah make us of the first category, but this is our journey. Every one of us, there is no getting out. People can deny anything. Their arrogance, they can deny religion. They cannot deny death. They cannot deny death. That's something that will happen to all of us. So the Prophet ﷺ said, so the soul will exit, listen to the analogy, like an iron comb is pulled through wet wool. What an analogy. Wet wool. And you take an iron comb and you pull the two apart. The soul doesn't want to leave. 
the soul is not happy to leave. So the soul will be snatched away in the most vicious manner imaginable. And there will be angels that have from the kafan of Jahannam, a'udhu billah, the coals of Jahannam, the stench of Jahannam. And that's what they're going to surround it by. And they will wrap the body. So already the adab begins. And next lesson we'll talk about Naim al-Qabr and Adab al-Qabr. This is where it begins. At the very moment of death begins the Naim and the Adab. At the second, your Malakul Maut will write then and there you know which direction overall you are heading. And they will surround him with these kafans, And they will pass by every group of angels. And the angels will say, who is this filthy or dirty soul? Because they see who's around. They see what is surrounded by. And what adjectives will they use? the adjectives that the people used in this dunya against him. Once again, subhanallah, be careful, brothers and sisters. Be careful of dhulm. Be careful of the dua of the mazloom. Be careful of hurting an innocent soul. And they use an adjective against you. That will be used in the next life. A'udhu billah in a much more worse scenario. Never, ever, ever. Whatever personal sins you do, inshallah, inshallah, Allah is ghafoor and rahim. But when you hurt other people, you take the haqq of other people, you trample on the rights of other people, you take the money of other people, you, you, you uh, dishonor the honor of a brother or sister, then, a'udhu billah, you will have to get the permission of that person. Otherwise, between you and Allah, and this is, by the way, a hadith of the Prophet that the mu'min, is at ease as long as his sins are between him and Allah, meaning that one who does tawbah repents to Allah, but as when he gets to the other people, then that is a different category. So what are the adjectives used? These aren't for the private sins. These are for the sins other people called him, right? Oh, you volume, oh, you cheat, oh, you liar, oh, you this and that, double-faced hypocrite. Those adjectives, they will not be forgotten. Allah has written, the angels have written, and now it will be used against the person. A'udhu Billah. When they are terrified, their terror will only increase. Every time they are going up, those adjectives will be used to describe and the worst adjectives that were used and the doors of the heavens will be shut and not opened up. So they will not be honored by going to the seventh heaven. And then the voice will come, write his name in Sijin. And Sijin is the registrar of Jahannam. Sijin is where the names of Jahannam are written. And then the same phrase, take his body back to this earth because I promised them from it I created and, and to it they shall return and from it I shall bring them back uh, a third time. And then... The Prophet recited the verse that uh, This is in the Quran that whoever commits shirk with Allah this shows us that this category primarily applies to shirk and uh, of course the, the one who is a sinner uh, there's a possibility that he will get a little bit of both meaning this is the worst case scenario the one who rejected Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and committed shirk and the verse translates as whoever commits shirk with Allah it is as if he is falling from the heavens and it is as if the birds are plucking at his flesh or the wind is taking him hither and thither and the point is that 
this ayah indicates the falling of the soul and a type of punishment of the soul. So the Prophet ﷺ recited it and applied it in the akhirah is going to be having. Then the Prophet ﷺ said, his soul will be thrown back into his jasad. This is not used in the first one. Thrown back indicates a level of harshness. And then the angels will come and say, Mar Rabbuk. He will say, Ha ha, la adri. Meaning, ha ha is how we say, mm, mm, like, I don't know, like the words that we just say like this. Then they will say, Madinuk, ha ha, la adri. Who is this man sent amongst you? The same thing, I do not know. And uh, then the angels will say that, uh, sorry, Allah will say, He has lied. Now, why has he lied? Because he did know in this dunya and he refused to accept. So when they say, who is your Lord? He says, I don't know. In his mind, he knew, but his body did not worship Allah. So his body is answering, I don't know, but his mind knew Allah is my Lord. When they say, who is this man? This is for the one who knew the Prophet and rejected him. As for the one who's ignorant, we'll talk about him as well later on. One who never heard of Islam, we'll talk about him later on. But the one who knew Islam, Abu Lahab, for example, he will say, Ha ha la adri. Allah will say, He's lying. He knew and he didn't follow. So the lying is to the one who rejects Islam uh, consciously. And then the angels are told, Put around him the shroud of Jahannam. And bring from him the smoke of Jahannam and allow him to look at his place in Jahannam. So the portal will open up and the portal will show him his place in Jahannam. Then the qabr will become dark and dank and surround him until his rib cages break and enter into each other. This is what the Prophet is saying, that his Allah, his rib cages break into one another. Now, of course, from outside, the two qabrs are exactly the same. This is in Alam al-Barzakh. From outside, it's still six foot by three foot by two foot, same thing. But this is what's happening inside. You can have two people next to each other, and the one of them, the qabr is bright, the qabr is large and vast, the qabr is as far as the eye can see, and the other one, the exact opposite. And then, as he is there being punished, an entity comes to him who is terrifying to behold with the worst stench and bringing just his presence is odious. And he says, woe to you, who are you? And of course the response is, I am your deeds coming back to you. I am your deeds coming back to you. You had filthy deeds, now this is what is going to come back to you. And the man will make dua to Allah, Rabb. Do not allow judgment day to occur. Ya Rabb, delay the judgment day. Because this is just the beginning. It is painful enough, but he knows what will happen is even worse than this. This is the entirety of the hadith. And there are many other facets from this and other hadith that we'll derive. But I want to stop here for our lecture for today and finish off with the hadith of Bara ibn Azib. Let's open the floor for inshallah. Seven minutes of questions. We'll finish exactly on 45 inshallah, 945. Who's going to begin our questions? Yes, in the back, brother, bismillah. Is there a hadith about the days getting shorter in the barzakh? No, the dunya we mentioned is one of the signs of judgment day. The time will diminish. That's one of the signs of qiyamah. As for the barzakh, the time is beyond our comprehension. But what we will study next week is that the time for the believer in the barzakh will go by 
very quickly. And in fact, this is the reality. Even in this dunya, when you're having fun, what happens? Time goes by. So when you're in comfort, when you're smelling Jannah, when you're seeing Jannah, it's going to be the twinkling of an eye. Right? So it will go by very quickly. And obviously the opposite is the opposite. Okay? Sisters, any questions? Yes, go ahead. Yes, yes, go ahead. The sister says, is there a hadith that specifically mentions the sinful Muslim? So, the second hadith, one wording says the fajr, and one wording says the kafir. What we know is that the sinful Muslim will never be treated the same as the one who rejected Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And this is something that is explicit. Even in Jahannam, there are categories that are at the higher levels of Jahannam, we seek Allah's refuge, they are not meant for the ones who rejected Allah. They are meant for the unrighteous of the Muslims. And in fact, there are even Ashabul A'raf. And Ashabul A'raf are those people who, they're not in Jannah, but they're not being punished in Jahannam. They're not in Jahannam. وَعَلَى الْأَعْرَافِ رِجَالِ On the very top of the mountains, there are people. That neither are they in the depths of Jahannam, nor are they in Jannah, so they are being punished, but nothing compared to the actual punishment of those who rejected Allah. So the hadith does not mention explicitly the, the, the impious Muslim. But as we said, there are generalities that we can extract a potential from and in the end only Allah knows and that generality as we said is that not everybody is at the same maqam and so it is possible that there will be and this is all again assumptions there's nothing explicit it is possible that there will be those whose delegation doesn't have as far as the eye can see where they're not given the welcome but they're also not punished so they do feel some panic and they don't have the same sakina as the highest level of the category. And we'll come to this, uh, but what I will tell you next week and the week after that is that there are levels of adab al-qabr. And many of the unrighteous Muslims, they will be punished in adab al-qabr only to be saved in the akhirah before Jahannam. Because that too is a punishment. Like, imagine... Uh, to Allah belongs the best example I'm not trying to equate but imagine that you are told you have failed a very important exam okay let's say the MCAT you're going to take the MCAT or not you're not in that field okay you're taking the MCAT no nobody's taking the MCAT here come on how can be a mosque and no MCAT come on half the kids are taking the MCAT we're talking about so suppose you are told somehow some examiner somehow said you failed the MCAT and the results come out in one week you think you failed, you've been told you failed, that one week will be, what type of week will it be? Very, very miserable week. That is a punishment right there. That is a punishment. Now suppose the examiner was wrong and you actually pass. Okay, you were still punished that one week. I mean, I'm not giving the same, I'm trying to make you understand. There will be people, and we don't want to be amongst them. They're like a D plus, right? They're like, you know, what do you do with these people? So Allah is Rahman and Rahim, and perhaps this D plus, he should get to Jannah, but he deserves there are things he has done he shouldn't have done. 
so Allah might punish them in alternative ways. And the number one way is in Jahannam. So he might be told, look, you did this, 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 this. You deserve Jahannam. And he does deserve Jahannam. So he'll be shown a place in Jahannam, right? There will be terror. There will be... But then what's going to happen on Qiyamah? That was your punishment. That was what you needed to do. I did it for you. And the, now obviously we, we don't aim for that, do we? Right? We don't want to be the D plus student, do we? That's a pretty sad level to aim for. We want to have the A plus student. But I hope that answers your question, inshallah. Back to this side. Yes, go ahead, brothers. Go ahead. Very good question. And again, we'll come to this. The brother is saying, isn't there a hadith that we're supposed to wait at the qabr for a period of time? Yes, there is. Our Prophet waited. What did he do when he waited? Did he give the luqma to the guy inside? Huh? No, he didn't. What did he do? Exactly. You can ask Allah for anything, anytime. But you cannot communicate with the dead at this point in time. You stand there and you raise your hands up and you pray and pray and pray to Allah directly. Oh Allah, give this person thabat. Yes, go ahead. But you do not stand and turn your face to the qabr and start speaking to the qabr and start cheating on the exam. No. So the dua is done, yes, at the qabr. And you wait there in the realization that munkar and nakir are coming at that point in time. That in our world, within 5-10 minutes, munkar and nakir are coming. So the Prophet would stand for a long time and he would raise his hands in the qabr, meaning in the qabr, in the graveyard. And he's raised his hands and uh, face the qibla. You are allowed to turn and face the qibla and raise your hands up and make sincere dua. And by the way, this is an oft-neglected sunnah. Brothers and sisters, this is etiquette, especially when your loved one dies, when your family member dies. It's your haq they have over you that you make dua for them at this stage. Don't just walk away and go back to your worldly chores. Somebody's just passed away. They need you. They need your dua. That's what they need. So you turn to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and make dua, inshallah. Sisters, yes, go ahead in the back. Go ahead. Uh, if I understood your question correctly, uh, is that a prerequisite or does that happen? So our sister is saying that, Ya ayyatamna does it mean that the soul was in itma'inan in this dunya, so therefore they will be called Ya ayyatamna Or is this something that is given to them at the time of their death? Uh, this is a question I would say there's an element of both over here. Meaning, the souls that are at that level will automatically feel the sakina of the heart in this world. They will already feel the, the sweetness of worshipping Allah. They will already have the itma'inan of the qalb even before death happens. So, but the question of course is that can you give this title to yourself? Obviously not. You cannot say, oh, I am nafsul mutma'inna. But the righteous person will feel the itma'inan in this world. And one can quote Ibn Taymiyyah over here, a very famous quote of Ibn Taymiyyah, that in this world there is a jannah. Whoever enters this world's jannah will enter the next world's jannah. 
And if they don't enter the Jannah of this world, they will most likely not enter the Jannah of the next world. And he said that Jannah, it is the worship of Allah. In other words, when you worship Allah, you get a sense of peace and itma'nan. That itma'nan, insha'Allah, it will translate to the angels and they will say, Ya ayyatu nafsul mutma'inna. But in the end of the day, you cannot guarantee, even if you feel itma'nan, that you will be amongst them. And Allah knows best. Final question from the brothers. We're having the brother in the back. Go ahead, Bismillah. Yes. So our brother says that will all the believers get to Jannah? The response eventually. The response is those who had actual Iman in their hearts will eventually enter Jannah. Two points. Number one, who can guarantee they have Iman and be safe? Say, I'm not a hypocrite. I'm not a munafiq. When Umar ibn al-Khattab was worried, am I a munafiq or not? Am I doing things to show off? Is my everything to please other people? So do not automatically presume that a person has iman or we have iman. We pray for iman. Seek refuge in Allah from nifaq. Number two, this uh, notion of, oh, if we have iman, even if we're punished, we'll enter Jannah. That's not an indication of strong iman. In fact, another group is criticized in the Quran for the exact same thing. That they said, in Surah Al-Baqarah that even if we go to Jahannam we are the chosen people it's going to be for a while and then we're going to get to Jannah this attitude A'udhu Billah A'udhu Billah in and of itself it is a type of arrogance that is an almost rejection of Allah and the punishment of Allah like if we understood what that punishment is None of us would be, ah, it's just a bit of time, we're going to go there. This attitude in and of itself, a'udhu billah, it's a potential that there's kibr in the heart. And Allah responds to this group of people. And this is the response we give to ourselves if anybody says the same thing. Do you have a promise from Allah that you're going to enter Jannah? If you do, Allah will fulfill that promise. Do you have a promise from Allah? That you will enter Jannah. This group says, Ah, ma'dudat. Then we're going to all go to Jannah. So that attitude disqualified them from entering Jannah. The righteous of the believers, even if they're sinners, they will always be scared of Jahannam and desiring Jannah. Iman is based on the two pillars of fear and hope combined along with love, which is the central pillar. Fear and hope. The mu'min wants Jannah and is scared of Jahannam. Right? The believers are hopeful they're going to get Allah's reward. And they're scared of Allah's punishment. That's the righteous person. The Prophet visited the man on the grave and he said, Describe to me your state. The man said, Ya Rasulullah. I am hopeful Allah will forgive me, but I'm also scared of my sins and Allah punish, Allah's punishment. So the Prophet said, never do these two emotions combine at the time of death, except that Allah gives him his hope and protects him from his fear. Did the man say, oh, don't worry, two days in Jahannam, then I'll go to Jannah. No, that is not the attitude to have. 
Ya Rasulullah, I'm hopeful, I have some good deeds, I hope Allah accepts, but I'm scared, I have sins as well, what if Allah punishes? That combination is how we live our life, of hope and fear together. And inshallah, when we do this, then we hope for the best and ask Allah's refuge from the worst. And with that, inshallah, we will continue next uh, Wednesday. Jazakumullah khair. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. لا يزال الخير حيا لا يزال إن في الدنيا سلاما وظلال أخبر الأيام أنها في وصال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال قم بنا وانظر لآيات الجمال